That is the fight song for the University of Utah. Welcome to the College Rugamatrix show. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com along with Bruce McLean, Jackie Finland, and Pat Clifton. And we are going to be talking about college. This is the weekend of March 12th. It's March 13th for all of us here. Welcome to the show. And we're going to start it off just talking a little bit about the College Premier League and – oh, I'm sorry, I should say the College Premier Division – and uh, we'll run down the scores and then talk a little bit about what happened, what guys think should have happened. Uh, the we were we were perfect again on RugbyMag.com in rankings in that the higher ranked team won every single game. Uh, Colorado over Colorado State twenty nine three, Delaware over Ohio State forty one seventeen, Cal over UC Davis one hundred six to nothing. I don't think that was much of a surprise for a lot. Life over Texas A&M, 43-22. That'd be interesting to see what people have to say about that one. Arkansas State, 58. Louisiana State, 0. Central Washington, 43 over, uh, sorry, 43-17 over Cal Poly. Arizona, 56-15 over Wyoming. San Diego State, 43-22 over UCLA. And uh, as we played the University of Utah, they won the closest game of the entire weekend, 29 to 20 over Arizona State. So let's talk a little bit, guys, first about the closest game, which was Utah over Arizona State. And uh, it, it wasn't even 29-20 doesn't really do it justice because it was 22 to 20 until the final minute when Chase Jardine scored a try for Utah to, to deny the close loss bonus point for Arizona State. So uh, uh, an underperformance by Utah, or was that a, a, a good performance by Arizona State? And what about the fact that this was really the only close game of the weekend? Bruce, what do you think? I actually think it's a combination of the two. I think that coming off of the, coming off of the game against, against BYU, there's a lot of emotions that go into that. And, and I think that Maybe Utah took this a little bit lightly. Maybe Arizona State really got themselves optimally prepared to play. And then I think that the, the loss of threatened Palamo for a little while to the football team probably all had, had, a, had a combination into the Arizona State performance. And I think Arizona State should be heavily commended. I would not have expected this. And, and I think that that was, that was a terrific job by those guys. And, and, and they should be extremely proud of – of what they did this week and and the University of Utah got a wake up call and and they they need to they're going to need to perform because now people know that they're human they've been humanized so teams are going to think they can beat them Pat you've talked a little bit with the guys at Arizona State uh were you surprised that they were this close no not really um I mean a little bit but like uh like Bruce said you lose Threaten Palamo you know Don Potty's probably got a little bit of sevens on the mind now he's at uh, the sevens camp we had uh, a plane right after the game. I'm not shocked. Arizona State had some great scores. Um, but to say that it doesn't come as a little bit of surprise, I guess, would be a lie. Um, but this is exactly what we wanted, right? I mean, uh, this college premier division wants close games. It doesn't want 106 to nothing blowouts like Cal delivered. They want uh, the, the lower level like Arizona State to come up, uh, UCLA to be competitive. They want those – I think we all want those teams to be competitive, and uh, Arizona State was, so – uh, surprised a little bit, shocked, no, um, but it's definitely a, a, a pleasant, um, uh, you know, it's a welcoming thing. I, I think it's a, it's a good thing for the league. Jackie, what do you think about this uh, issue that there's 
not pretty much every game's been a blowout or or pretty you know, there's not nothing been all that that close is that a problem for the league or marketing or anything along those lines yeah i mean you want to see close games um just have people invested and uh you know see their teams play up against these higher ranked and well-known teams but um i mean everybody's still getting their feet it's still a new league um there's no reason to hope for more games like this we we know that Cal is going to win many of their games by a large margin, and they certainly didn't uh, take it easy. And looking at the starting lineup, it was pretty much a, a very strong starting lineup for Cal, and they won. I mean, the, 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 UC Davis is not the strongest team in the division by any stretch of the imagination. They're having a tough time. So 106 to nothing, um, we kind of saw that happening. But I, th- I think what's what's scary is that they beat San Diego State 95 nothing, and then San Diego State turns around and beats a pretty good UCLA team, scores 43 points on them. So I guess the you – know, ch- jump in, guys. Tell, tell me, is it, is it Cal and BYU and then a giant gulf and then everybody else? Well, I think Arkansas State and life have a pretty big argument there. Uh, Arkansas State beat LSU 58 nothing. You know, not uh, – it's not 106 nothing, but it's a pretty good score. And uh, Arkansas State's one heck of a team, and, and they're my super pick to win the whole thing. Um, and I think life, uh, everybody has a lot of expectations with life. But uh, those two teams definitely have something to say about it. And I think that Utah, on uh, you know, you play that Utah-BYU game ten times, you know, Utah might be able to win three or four of them. So uh, it's any given uh, Saturday with some of these teams. But uh, there's no doubt that there's probably a top five, six, and then uh, a big gap between there and, and below. But I think San Diego State – you talked about that game was extremely disappointed um, in their Cal performance. Um, You know, last year they played Cal and it was 50 something to, so like 19, I think it was in Vegas. Um, And then to turn around and lose at home the way they did last year, they really bucked up the whole week. They brought in some, you know, Alex Ross, who just recently graduated a couple Lombok guys and uh, helped them coach. And then they went back to some of the stuff that they thought they did well with last year and, and I think that a uh, 43-22 performance over UCLA, San Diego State was hitting all cylinders in that game. And, and that's one of the best games that they, they might have the rest of the season. I think that one of the reasons Cal puts up these big scores is that when players come in off the bench and the game is, is kind of a little, you know, maybe, maybe a little lopsided at the time, they're not really able to stop. They're not allowed to stop playing. They're not allowed to stop playing a very consistent and ruthless system and they and they need and they need to be very clinical in order to get themselves on the field or get themselves into consideration for being on the team later in the season so the game doesn't deteriorate into a wild ball flinging affair so even if they're not trying to overwhelm a team when those kids get a chance to play they're going to just continually go and do the exact same things that they're supposed to do because that's their only way to get on the field later in the season. So in doing that, they have, they generally do try to recruit captains. They generally do try to recruit top players and leaders and and self-starters. So what happens is that they're going to, they're going to have performances that don't really have that much of a deterioration from the first into the second team. Now, obviously, Cal's first team would beat their second team probably quite handily, but their second team relative to most of the teams in the country is 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 probably – Cal's second team would probably be ranked in, in the top four or five. 
Oh, sure. I, th- I, I, I think so. And in the, uh, the, the talk is always that, that off weekend between the regular season and the playoffs, Cal always would basically have an, an intra-squad scrummage. And a lot of people would joke that that would be the toughest game of the year. Uh, you look at, uh, what Cal did, they scored 16 tries and they converted 13 of them. Their sub, their, their substitute, uh, fly half Aronson comes on, he kicks five conversions that, and that's one of those added things. It's, it's one of those things, add insult to injury. Cal scores those tries. Then they kick their goals as well. That's an extra 26 points. Well, they're a team. Everybody knows the difference between Cal and, 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 and the other, like BYU's, the Arkansas State's, the Lions, is their second team. That when they come on, when they, when they sub off, they're still going to continue to score, you know, tries at a high clip. But I think over time, and it's hard to believe for some, that this is, you know, this, it, the clock has already started ticking on that. So those second teamers aren't going to be content with sitting around two or three years before they get on the field anymore. Because other programs get the same resources, um, and there are more programs with great resources, and that's happening all the time, more and more every year. Those players, that saturation of great players isn't going to continue to always be in Berkeley. There's going to, it's going to start spreading around the country. And so for the time being, this is what you have. It happened to UCLA in basketball. Uh, it's going to happen to Cal eventually in rugby. But uh, it's crazy right now. I think they need to enjoy it while it lasts. But I'd like to see in, in five, six, seven, eight years, um, and I think you will see that in a college premier league, if it's still around, or college premier division, if it's still around, there will be 106 to nothing losses. Jackie, you have any surprises that you saw? Um, no, I think it's been reiterated, but the most disturbing thing I thought about the California Davis team is that you assume that they're putting on their second line, and uh, to just see that kind of score is a bit um, disheartening. Oh, Jackie, we didn't assume that they were putting on their second team. What we're saying is as they sub players into the game, they don't lose much, if anything. The thing that impressed me about Cal more than anything not so much their high score lines that, you know, if you're a better team, you can do that. They put up two donuts. I mean, when you shut a team out, I mean, all you really need is you get a penalty in their end. You know, anything can happen and a team can score three or six points. Uh, you know, a bad call, or the, you know, something knocks on and just goes. They, did, they put up two donuts. That's, that's, that's the thing that impresses me more than anything. Cal aside, big blowout. They, they played one of the lower ranked teams. It's, not a big deal uh, in, in one sense. It's not really – I mean, I, if I were UC, UC Davis, I wouldn't be too happy about it, but it's, it's not that much of a surprise. Uh, what, what I think – we look at some of the other scores. Pat, you said the, the, the Arkansas State 58 nothing over LSU. LSU is a very good team, and they got, they got shut out, and they were beaten pretty handily, and that's, that's one to really uh, pay attention to. I'm, I'm curious about comments on uh, life against Texas A&M. Life is – the big new team and they started out really well and they did win this game, but it was on the road. A&M gave them a game. Talking to uh, Craig Coates at A&M and talking to Dan Payne at life, the, the wind was pretty ridiculous. It was over 20 miles an hour uh, in this game. Uh, Texas A&M had the win in the first half. It was a 12-12 halftime score. And in the second half with Mike was actually able to use their boot to gain territory. It was, it was lights out. Life just ran away with it. It wasn't even close. Um, but Texas A&M, like, like you say about LSU, is a very, very good team. Um, you know, from Connor, um, Connor, uh, Bertrand, to Hunter Leland, um, they, they're a very good team. And Chris Parker at number six, two weeks in a row, I've had a coach tell me how good he is. 
Um, but uh, Hunter Leland and the midfield of the Texas A&M was, was able to gain ground on life, which uh, probably shocked them a little bit. Uh, but no, I don't think you read too much into it. I think Life played has played two very good teams so far. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe they played two tougher teams than anybody else. Um, that's uh, that's two and zero. Life probably Life probably didn't um, didn't play the game that they want to play. The fact of the matter is, it, no matter when when you're when you're playing rugby, you do have to learn how to play those conditions. And Life has a pretty young team. It's mostly freshmen and sophomores, so. Learning how to play into the wind is is a critical thing to do because you're going to have to do it at some point. They may have to do it against Arkansas State. They may have to do it somewhere down the line. I, I think that life has to be a little bit disappointed with the way the result turned out. I think they'd have to be a little bit disappointed in giving up 22 points because it shows that you can score on them. Jackie, what do you see coming up in terms of teams that haven't played any or haven't haven't played much? Well, Army was off this week, and uh, I'm interested to see how their uh, they'll be off next week as well. I'm interested to see when with their starters back in if they can put up the big scores that the other uh, Sweet Sixteeners uh, do. Say something about Penn State. They see they see Cutstown next weekend, and then they see Dartmouth. So it's interesting to see how they work into this lineup. I I actually saw Rich Polito and Justin Hunley, the coaches of uh, of Army, this weekend, and. One of the things they said is that it's very difficult for the East Coast teams to have had proper preparation. The weather has been absolutely dreadful and really, really, really messed up their preparation. And they said when they played Rutgers last week, they really weren't firing all cylinders. That Rutgers actually had a pretty good pack and that the team wasn't as bad as people think they are. I, you know, they, they were, they're definitely scared. And they think that that Penn State Cutstown game is going to be, is going to be a real tester because they haven't played. And the other thing that I heard was that the, the Delaware game was 10, Delaware Dartmouth game the week before was 10 to 5 with about a minute or two to go. And then Dartmouth scored again. So this, I, I think that the Eastern Conference is good and that there's not much in it. I think that there's, there's, there's not much in those different teams. I think Army is going to be the class of the conference and probably will run the table, but may or may not because they always have a difficult time against Navy and Penn State. But I think that this is this is going to be an interesting – this weekend is key. I'm interested to um, learn that uh, Utah and BYU and Wyoming and Air Force have all been practicing in balmy, beachy weather with lots of sunshine. Can't we complain about something once in a while? Uh, Every time you turn around, all you West Coast no, guys, no, all you West not Coast from guys, New York. Do, hey, let's play everything in the spring because the weather's so great. But it's it's not it's Jesus not it's Christ. not for two thirds of the country. But it 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 seems to be uh, monopolized by the Northeast. I'm saying the weather's horrible anyway. in the spring. They shouldn't be playing in the spring anyway. None of us. Super League in the spring is stupid too. Uh, this coming weekend, we've got Delaware at Rutgers, Penn State at Cutstown. Notre Dame, who lost to Davenport University, by the way, uh, this weekend. Notre Dame at Louisiana State. BYU plays both Colorado and Air Force, I believe, on, uh, I want to say it's Thursday and Saturday. And then San Diego State at St. Mary's. Uh, let's go around the group and, and pick, a, pick a game that we're excited about or we think is going to be a surprise. Pat, let's start with you. Well, it's hard for me to pick one that I'm not excited about. Uh, <laughs> 
Delaware Rutgers, I guess, would be that one. You sound excited. Yeah, Delaware Rutgers would be that one that I'm not <laughs> interested in. Uh, Penn State puts down. There's really not much to say. Both those programs are are very good, and that's going to be a good test for both of them. And I think it's a it's probably a winnable game for both teams. Notre Dame, surprisingly enough, is the team I want to see. I know that they've lost to Davenport. They lost to some uh, D1 competition in the fall. Um, but I don't know that that necessarily means they can't compete. Um, you know, the Midwest, uh, especially the Midwest East Conference in Division One, is very, very good. There are teams in there that could uh, beat, uh, you know, college premier division teams from all over the country. But I would like to see what Notre Dame has. They did a lot better in the fall uh, this year than they did in uh, 2009. Um, they finished what I think it was second to last in 2009, and they were kind of a, a pincushion when people were complaining about who's in the college premier division, saying, oh, well, Notre Dame's in it, and they're, they're not any good. Well, I, I think that they know that, and they've heard all that, and that uh, they're going to be out this week to, uh, to, to prove that they can play. And so she was a beatable team, but it's a long road trip. Um, I don't expect to see Notre Dame win, but I would, uh, that's one I definitely want to keep my eye on. <laughs> so, Jack, so, Jackie, what do you think? Well, I know it's not high on everybody's list, but I'm looking forward to the Delaware Rutgers game just because it's kind of a local rivalry. And, uh, I mean, it's sure to be a hot one. Is, is Rutgers deserving of the ranking we have for them? Because we have them right down there, number 31 out of 31. Whether or not they deserve to be ranked last, they have to do something to deserve a bump up. Uh, while they scored 15 points against Army and they weren't blown out, they still need to put in a performance. What kind of a performance are you looking for? Are you looking for them to they have to win? Yeah, or, or just play a closer game um, to make it look like there weren't three lucky tries on the day. Playing against Delaware, I mean, it'll be their first chance really to deserve a bump up. Bruce, yes, <clears throat> I am. Uh, I am definitely excited for the Penn State Cutstown game. I'm always excited to see how the Xavier kids do. So I, and so I would always be excited for Cal to see Seamus Kelly and Patrick Coleman. And then I would, and then the other game that is intriguing to me is, just, I mean, I'm a fan of St. Mary's. It, it's it's not any. I'm a fan of Penn State. I'm a fan of Army. I'm a fan of Kutztown, and I'm a fan of the, I'm a fan of the of the Cal program and and uh, and the Xavier and the Xavier kids who were there. So, and, and I'm a fan of Utah. I, I'm, I'm and I'm a fan of life. Ah, oh, God, I'm a fan of too many teams. I don't even. You're a fan of life. I, I am a fan of life. <laughs> I am. I am a fan of life and Life University. <laughs> But I, I think that I think that as the games start to settle in and these teams start to believe that they can play in these games, they're going to be better. And and Penn State Kutztown, I, I went to a Penn State Kutztown game a few years ago, and it was really exciting, and I enjoyed myself. And I think it's going to be great. And I think that San Diego State against St. Mary's is going to be is going to be terrific as well. The thing that gets that sticks with me is BYU playing Colorado on Thursday. And turning around and playing Air Force on Saturday, I really have no doubt that BYU can do both of those games, and I think that they could probably—they're probably getting a bit of a uh, a break in that Air Force. I don't think is quite as good as Colorado, and they get Air Force second. But the the league was generally set up to avoid these multiple game weekends. Some of the teams have chosen to have them because it just helps them. Here, BYU gets just has to travel to Colorado once and spend a couple of days and, and just do these games. So it's, it's their choice. But it's always interesting to see how a team can handle that kind of challenge to the depth. I don't think BYU is going to have a problem. I don't think Cal would have a problem doing this. Um, but I am interested to see how it all comes out 
and whether there's a ramification um, further down the line. What if Colorado gets a couple of bonus points, something out of that? If they don't win the game, I don't think they're going to win the game, but if they don't win the game but they're close, score a few tries, things like that, what if that comes into play? might be interesting to see that. Uh, Penn State Cutdown is a classic game in, in uh, Mid-Atlantic. It's, it is really early. I don't think they've spent an awful lot of time outside, so it may not be the game everybody wants it to be. It may not be quite as uh, polished, which would be a, a bit of a shame, but they've got to play sometime. We're going to take a quick change of direction, and we'll talk a little bit about Division One. Pat Clifton, you have uh, a little bit of a rundown on where we are with regards to the Division One uh, playoff picture, and then uh, Jackie, I want to check in with you about what the playoff picture is looking like among the women. Uh, well, so far we've got eight of the sixteen uh, teams already picked and, and signed, sealed, and delivered for the Sweet Sixteen in men's D1. Um, some of them, a lot of them, came in in the fall, and a few of them have. Uh, have uh, punched their ticket this spring. Uh, one of those, the most recent being Texas State, uh, winning the Texas uh, the Texas League over the University of Texas. Um, and then uh, the other eight that haven't happened yet, there are about three that are up in the air, and the other five seem to be pretty sewn up. Uh, it looks like Kansas State is going to win the West Central. Um, all they have to do is win one more game, and they've got Truman State and uh, and Nebraska, both teams they beat in the uh, in the fall coming up. Uh, Oregon State uh, looks like it's uh, one of the ones that's kind of up in the air in the uh, Northwest, uh, the NCRC. But uh, they have already beaten, you know, I believe it's two other of the teams, uh, Washington State. They beat Western Washington. So they look to be the best Division One eligible team left in the Northwest. Um, there's only been one or one weekend played in, in the Eastern Penn, um, and Temple is leading after that after a 34, uh, 34-0 win. But uh, that one's still obviously wide open. Um, the Atlantic Coast Rugby League is still wide open. And then uh, Florida, that's going to come down to Florida, Florida State, um, April 2nd, or April 9th, rather, uh, in Gainesville. That was a 20-20 to tie when they met in Tallahassee. And uh, that's uh, as bitter a rivalry as there is in the South, I believe. And uh, Florida State desperately wants to beat their big brother in Florida, which they haven't done recently. But one of the most, one of the things that I think is interesting about Division One is the four regionals and, and where they're being hosted. You look at them, one's in Bowling Green, one's in Santa Barbara, one's in the greater Minneapolis area, and one's in Buffalo, New York. So obviously, in each one of those different regions, there's a team, a hometown team, that gets to host the other three. It kind of sticks out to me. I don't know how USA Rugby decided it. I don't know when they decided it. I need to do some more investigative uh, work as far as that's concerned. But I want to know what anybody's thoughts are on that. The fact that Bowling Green gets to play at home, UCSB gets to play at home, Minnesota gets to play at home, and Buffalo all get to play at home. Ted's Hot Dogs is possibly the best hot dog place in the country, and that's in Buffalo, New York. And I think that uh, anybody who takes a rugby team to Buffalo will have to be very careful about the junk food intake of anyone who goes into that city because you've got your beef on weck, you've got your hot dogs, you've got your uh, your large bucket of wings – um, uh, you've really got to be careful about your nutrition going into that. Uh, and and Buffalo in the sp- actually Buffalo in the spring is very nice. Buffalo in the summer is is uh, pretty rough, and in the winter, don't even talk about it. Um, but I I think it is interesting that they've got 
these hosting cities that that certainly will play into the hands of some of those teams. Um, I I like the fact that these these are all teams that I spent an awful lot of time kind of wishing I could rank in in the old D one, wishing that maybe I should have had a top fifty because then I could get some of these teams in because some of them like Stanford Stanford would go one and five or one and six but not be that bad. Or or Northern Colorado was a, was a, a strong team. Oregon State, same thing. They're, you couldn't really measure exactly how they do against their peers because their peers included the Cal's and Utah's and Central Washingtons of the world. And this is a this is a uh, it's it's nice to see this group out there and and perhaps one or two of them will jump up and and really impress. I think it's also interesting looking at. You know, the College Premier Division and some of the teams like Davis, it could be 106-0. Well, that makes Stanford's 74 nothing loss to Cal uh, look a little bit better. I think it's going to be really interesting, and keep an eye on some of these teams in the playoffs and how they do, but how the College Premier Division uh, decides if it wants to add players, do a promotion relegation. Um, as far as I've heard, that stuff hasn't been nailed down yet and, and how they're going to do that. But, uh, you know, Stanford is a team that I would look at that I, I would definitely think wants to be in the College Premier Division. Um, and they look like they could probably be just as competitive as some of the other teams that are already in it, as well as UC Santa Barbara. I know they won in it. Um, Kevin Battle has told me so, their coach. And, uh, you know, honestly, I feel like they, they probably feel a little miffed um, that they're not in it already. But uh, Well, they they had a bad season. They had, they, had, they had to know that they had a rough season last year. They and did, they... but that's one season, right? Oh, absolutely. I guess it's just bad timing to have that bad season. That's that's right. But And then there's Bowling Green. Who's good enough to be in there, but but passed on the opportunity? What happens if they go and win the whole thing, and and maybe they're they're revisiting that again, and maybe they want to take it up again? Well, I got to feel Bowling Green's reason to not do it has got to be money based. Oh yeah, and yeah, I mean most of these schools just be, it's easy to say we'll just pay the extra six hundred dollars. Like when Delaware drove down to Columbus to play Ohio State this last weekend, they drove eight hours on game day, and they kind of got beat up on our comments you know, about it on our website, but they went down there and they put up the win, but and somebody posted, well, it's just an extra 600 bucks. Well, for some of these schools, that's just not there. Uh, you know, some schools are well-funded and some aren't. And, and some of these teams that are really, really good might not be as well-funded as, as, as people think. And it's not as easy to raise that money. So you I know, think Bowling it, Green it, is a money issue. It's not even, it's not even just that. It's also what happens if the school reimburses you for that? Well, what if the coach isn't exactly, uh, in a position where he can put a thousand dollars on his credit card and hope that within the next two months he gets reimbursed by the school, it, 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 there's an all all kinds of stuff. Because even if a school funds that stuff, a lot of times they'll reimburse that, and that's very difficult. And that's that's true. And Bruce, you know this through through the game at every level that there are so many select sides that expect a a team manager and a team coach to front up costs. And then uh, and hope that he gets reimbursed in a in a timely manner. Yeah, I mean that that definitely happens, and it happens on every team. Uh, I, I'm actually interested to see, Pat. You you kind of made a a non-judgmental comment about the locations of the Sweet 16, and I while I I think it's a I, I'm not a I don't have a real problem with teams having a home field advantage. That doesn't that doesn't particularly bug me. I don't necessarily think that all those places are that easy to get to. You know what I mean? Like you have the Ivy League champ and the Northeastern champ and, you know, so 
Buffalo is still like an eight-hour drive from New York and an eight-hour drive from Boston, and that, that's a that's a long hit. Blaine, Minnesota, I, I guess flying into Minneapolis is all right. I, I'm not positive of how far Santa Barbara is from L.A. About an hour and a half. I, yeah, so I mean that that's a pretty good clip to have to go at, from the airport if you're traveling, and and for Bowling Green, they'll be able to get a direct flight from from Philly. But Florida and Carolina, they may they may not necessarily have a direct flight. So I, right. I think that it's – while I think it's interesting to have it at these places, I, I'm i not sure. One of the things that I did notice that, that I was going to comment on was I looked at the picture in, in the article that you wrote. I believe it was you who wrote it, Pat. Uh, yeah. Of I, I looked at the picture of Minnesota, and, and then I just – the difference between what those kids look like and what you look when you see a picture of a college Premier League team is night and day. I thought they were high school kids. Now, and it's not being it's not being rude about it, and I'm not saying that. I, I don't mean, but the college Premier League is at another level because Minnesota is a good team. I mean, they are perennially Sweet Sixteen team. They're 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 a very good team, and they and they also could have been in the college Premier League. You know, yeah, Minnesota's Minnesota's a good team, but Minnesota for has struggled to get past Wisconsin, and and so I wouldn't say they're perennial Sweet Sixteen because uh, they lost okay. something like six times in a row to Wisconsin to get out of Midwest before. Okay, that's right. But no, that's I enough. That's, but I'm saying, like, I looked at that photo, and that doesn't look like when I see, you know, St. Mary's is 800 boys in the school. And those kids look big, thick, athletic. And I know that they perform because they put people into the Super League. They put people into the international teams, All-Americans and stuff. And, you know, you look at a team like Cal and BYU, and you t- those kids just look – like they're prepared to play rugby. And I think that there's a massive difference in the level of play in both te- in both leagues. I, I I'm outside of think, say a bowling green and things like that, but but even bowling green they they'll they'll be in and they'll be good. And I also don't think there should Stanford. be relegation. Yeah, you know, you you look at the the pictures I've got of uh life and Arkansas State St. Mary's these guys are physically at a different level, and certainly from the Division Two teams, but a lot of the Division Ones, not all of them, but a lot of the Division One. I, I think there's a huge gap also on the conditioning side. Now, I think it's, I think what you say is a fair. It's fair to say for Minnesota, but I don't know that it's necessarily. You know, Minnesota and UCSB are different schools, and there are different schools around the country. Minnesota is not on the same level as a lot of the college premier division teams, but I think UCSB is. I think Bowling Green is. I think Stanford is. I think Davenport is, and will continue to be. I think there are some teams around the country that definitely have an argument to get into the college premier division. I'm not saying that they were snubbed uh, to to not get in it. Obviously, Bowling Green opted out. But uh, th- there are some Division One teams, and this was evidenced by what three teams in NorCal's D1 beat UC Davis in the preseason. I think uh, every single team except for Santa Clara beat UC Davis. It's in NorCal's D1. So I think it's 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 fair to say about Minnesota, but I don't know that it's a blanket statement that you can make about every league. Oh no, I don't, I'm not I'm not making a blanket statement about what I was making. Is that I was making a statement that the level of play is right. different. One of the other things is we're talking about promotion and relegation. I really hope that they don't use a relegation model. I hope that they use a promotion model. I think the teams that aren't up to it or teams that aren't into it will probably drop out by attrition. And and that, that has kind of happened in the Super League. I think it probably will happen in the College Premier League. Ideally not 
that often. And and I think we'll come to a balance as to how many how many teams how many teams the um, the Premier League can can sustain. The other thing is, it would be great if we had a lot more. Like I think that you need about three or four hundred, which which sounds like a lot, but it's only eight per state. If you have four hundred programs that are very similar in caliber to Highland, Jesuit, Xavier, Gonzaga, United. I think that if there's that kind of if there's that many programs in high school, and like I said, that's only eight per state. It's not a massive amount. Then I think that the college Premier League really becomes very, very sustainable. One of the reasons that the California teams do very well is that California high school rugby is very successful. So even teams that have 500 or or 600 records in in high school rugby in California, they're generally very very good teams. And when they when they put these players into these programs like Cal and St. Mary's and 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 Davis and San Diego State, they're able <clears throat> they come with an ability to play already. Even if it wasn't a great program, they they come with an introduction to rugby and it's and it's and it's eons better than what we have in different areas of the country. But as those areas get better and better, you'll see like Tennessee got good after they had their youth program in place. You know, first there was the youth program. Then all of a sudden Tennessee is, is back and being a force. So one of the things that Penn, one of the reasons Penn state isn't as good as maybe people think it should be. And, and Kutztown is because Pennsylvania high school rugby is not that good. So don't drop out. Instead, start looking at at fixing your talent pool. I think that that's yeah. I, I I and I know I've spoken to Doc Jones and Don Farrell about this, about the, you know getting out there and trying to convince football coaches not only to allow their players in high school to play rugby, but to get them to encourage it. Like I said, I, I think that you really need to have every state needs to have eight to ten teams that are really really good that they can play each other. We talked about. You talked about two different things there. They're a little bit separate. But as far as relegation goes, there has to be a vehicle for the UCSBs to get in or for the Stanfords oh, to get in. Oh, promotion, promotion I want, Pat. Promotion right. I want. So, like, it, like, to me, it doesn't matter if the West has 10 teams in their conference. They could play extra weekends. They have nice weather. If the East has to make but maybe 14, 16 isn't. So there's well, a carrying capacity that they have to identify. But I agree with you. I think this what you see in the D1 now might be what you're talking about a little bit. But I think and in the interest of time, I'll just say it and move on, is that uh, the CPL, I think, or the CPD is going to have to worry a lot more about uh, teams deciding it's not worth it and dropping it out than it is how to fit in all the teams that want in. We want to see promotion. Um, we're, we're going to see attrition. We may see this league be 24 teams next year, 16 teams, 20, 27. We don't know. It's, 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 it's all in flux. It's only two weeks old. Uh, switching gears just a little bit, just also to see what the playoff picture is on the women's side. And Jackie, we do have a few teams who played their fall season that ha- have uh, have already got their spot in the D1 uh, playoffs. Uh, Northern Iowa, Dartmouth, Michigan, Brown, and Army. But uh, that's only five teams. We've got, we've got 11 more spots to fill in. Uh, what does the picture look like? Right. So league play has finished all over the country and in the Pacific coast, um, Stanford and Davis had locked up their, their bids to the playoffs and they have a plan play in round in Utah, which will be BYU against Cal and Oregon against Chico. 
and BYU is obviously favored in that semifinal. And I picked Chico over Oregon only because they played similar opponents and they posted bigger scores. Um, and then um, in the West, they had their final league match, uh, Colorado against New Mexico. Colorado beat New Mexico 35-12 to 12 inside the football stadium. And they... Uh, for them, it was a huge forward battle, and it's something that Colorado focused on past two weeks, and they just ran them over in the forwards. Uh, so three teams from the Eastern Rockies, and they'll be joined by Texas A&M, which won the Texas Cup over Texas Tech, and they will send one team to the Nationals. In the Mid-Atlantic, they start their quarterfinals in the first weekend of April. It uh, looks like the the higher seeds are favored in the quarterfinals, but then it gets a bit dicey heading to the semis. We saw uh, Navy at the Virginia Women's Invitational the weekend before, and they lost to North Carolina. Granted, it was a rainy, sloppy weekend, but um, it's kind of interesting to see them not overpowering that tournament as they usually do. They actually had a uh, Sue Parker's back with Navy, Peter France has stepped back for the season. Um, so I think they're working some kinks out and uh, shoring up a new game plan. Uh, let's see. And then in the South, they finished their league play. And uh, Eastern Carolina is actually favored. They have beat North Carolina twice during league play. And so the top three conference players move on to playoffs, and then they have a play-in round for the number two teams in the other, two com- in the other three conferences. And North Carolina is obviously favored for that buy-in and then and then Southern California UCLA and UC San Diego move on to nationals um UCLA actually took first on bonus points well it's good to see BYU get a straight shot at possibly being number one in Pacific Coast they had some different kind of seeding processes and then they scheduled them uh in in such a way that they couldn't um there was a problem with playing on Sundays and things like that. So this is a, a, a straight shot for BYU. They win four games. They're the best in the Pacific Coast. Uh, I, I think they could possibly do it, but of course, I think most people are going to be thinking, Jackie, that it's going to be Stanford-BYU for the Pacific Coast title, uh, which is going to be a big game. Yeah, it's just really unfortunate for BYU. They are kind of stranded there in Utah. There are a couple of uh, there's really there's only one D2 team in Utah that's eligible for playoffs as well. So they play Utah State, Utah Valley, but they don't have the buildup that all the NorCal teams do. So they're a bit handicapped in that respect. All right. Well, that that's the picture for the women's Division One uh, playoffs coming up. And obviously the Mid-Atlantic playoffs starting this weekend, that's something we're going to pay attention to. And then then the post coming up as well. We got a little bit of a rundown from Pat Clifton on the Division One men's playoffs. And, of course, College Premier Division. Uh, right now we're, we're still looking for that uh, last-second win and that, that really, really tight game. And maybe we're going to see it with uh, uh, Penn State and Kutztown, really kind of a pick em, pick em shot and we're still looking for a team that was ranked lower than their opponent to win a game so it should be interesting bruce mcclain pat clifton jackie finland and i'm alex goff thank you guys very much for uh coming in this weekend and uh thanks everybody for listening <laughs>